0: Hello and welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. You're listening to a message that was part of our Tuesday night worship services that takes place each week on the campuses of University of Northern Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Iowa. This year's theme is As You Go. So we'll be taking a look at the book of Acts and we will be exploring how just as God called the early church, he is calling us today to go. And as Jesus ascends into heaven and we're introduced to the Holy Spirit, we're given instructions as we go. So here's a message presented by one of our campus ministers. Welcome to the CCF podcast. We're going to be going through the book of Acts this year, and we're using the title of As You Go in order to think about and describe what the disciples did after encountering Jesus and living with Jesus and being his disciples. So, the very beginning of Acts, uh, Jesus ascends into heaven, and he kind of gives a challenge to the disciples. And so, that's what we're going to, the passage that we're going to talk through. In this session, and also give a little bit of background behind the book of Acts and kind of where we're going with our study this year. So let's begin with some text Acts 1 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of forty days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I wanted to start this lesson. um, We're going to set the text aside for just a second. But don't worry, we're going to get back to it. And and I wanted to just kind of describe a little bit about my teaching process. Uh, It might look a little different. uh, It might sound a little different. To some of you who've listened to other teachers, um, that's because we have a specific philosophy here at CCF, that we desire to be people of biblical truth, and we want to teach what the Bible says. But in order to understand what the Bible says, a lot of times we need to do a, a good job of understanding its context, its historical context. That means we need to be looking at who was the original author of this particular book, in this case, Acts. Uh, and who was the intended audience, and, and what kind of things were happening at the time in the culture, uh, historically speaking, what was going on. And, and by knowing those things and combining those things, that we have a better chance of understanding what the text was really trying to say to the original audience. And from that we can we can dive deep and we can get even better applications as to what we in turn should maybe do with this text. And, and so right away here in, in Acts 1-1, we have um, kind of a bit of a descriptor, a bit of some clues as to what's going on, because the author here addresses uh, a Theophilus. Now, that's capitalized as a name, but the thing is, if you translate that name, it means "lover of God." Theos uh, being God, uh, Phili- Philes, uh being the the ending that that talks about uh, love, and and so lover of God is, is either directly someone's name, or I've even heard it uh, theorized that, that Luke, who's the author of Acts, we'll get into him in just a second, um, essentially is writing his book, his history generically to anyone who is a lover of God, but then gives them a specific name of Theophilus in order to kind of have a more conversational type tone. Um, The, the book of Luke is also addressed to Theophilus, and and most people would agree that Luke and Acts are meant to kind of be one, uh, one complete work, maybe in two volumes, which he he mentions in Acts one one in my former book, referring to the Gospel of Luke. Um, that's what Luke is doing here. He's he's writing Acts to be a continuation of the history of the things that he laid forward in describing what Jesus did in his own gospel, and so we may not know much about Theophilus if he was just one singular person. uh, We don't have anything else besides the address at the beginning of Luke's and acts that reference this Theophilus. And if it's just a general uh, title given for anyone who is lover of God, then it's harder to know exactly, uh, you know, much about the audience because that's kind of, uh, hopefully that's all of us. Uh, We all have the capacity, the chance to be lovers of God. Um, So yeah, I think there's a pretty good chance that this book is also written for you. Um, so then we kind of have to start digging and say, well, is there a particular theme to these books that Luke wrote down? Does does the Luke-Acts volumes have a purpose behind them? A- and we can actually go back to Luke 1, 1 through 4, and, and it gets a little bit of an idea of what both Luke and Acts were written for. So Luke 1, 1 through 1-4 says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke states at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke that, there's a lot of things that have been written down about Jesus. That there's some good accounts, um, but what he wanted to do was was take make a really orderly account from the very first eyewitnesses, and so we have a history of of Luke um, just kind of doing lots of interviews and putting together the stories of Jesus and and that. That he did was just really intentional about who he talked to and and who's what pieces of each story he wanted to get in order to write his gospel because Luke is not one of the twelve he's not one of the apostles um, we actually are pretty confident that Luke was a physician um, from Antioch um, and that he is an associate of Paul's uh, Luke likely inserts himself into the narrative of Acts later on when it's. You know, accurate to do so. Um, but he never refers to himself by name, but he starts using a we tense later on in in Acts. And so it's pretty logical to assume that, that Luke is meaning that he was a part of that group that did those things in Acts. And, and you see him kind of palling around with Paul. And so a lot of people describe the gospel of Luke as the gospel according to Paul, believing that uh, one of the main th- people that Luke learned about Jesus from was at least initially Paul. And then he also had dealings with the um, the actual members of the 12 disciples and was able to interview them and again put together this orderly account that that he wanted to present to either a specific guy, Theophilus, or God-lovers in general. And, and so you kind of see just the purpose of Luke is to I wanted to interview eyewitnesses. I want to know exactly what happened. I wanted to write it down so that all you guys can know, not only if the things that you've been hearing are accurate, but I've heard them from the people who were there, the actual witnesses, and I'm sharing that with you. And that word witness actually is is kind of a key word for, for our session. Um, it, in fact, we've been thinking about uh, titling our messages as you go, which is our general theme for the year but then we'll throw another word or two afterwards. And so what I'm entitling this session's lesson is, As You Go, Witness. Because that idea of witnessing is very important to the beginning of Acts. That's what the apostles are commanded to do by Jesus, is to be his witnesses, to carry forward his his story. Now, Now there's something that's really unique about that particular story and the idea of them being witnesses. And so I'm Actually, going to go back in time a little bit more now, uh, and talk about a different group in history—a group known as the Romans. And there's this thing that happens in, in Roman history where where a guy comes to power named Julius Caesar, and he appoints himself as as the emperor, as the Caesar over all of Rome. And he's able to hold power and extend Rome's reach. And Caesar does a lot of incredible things, but then he's assassinated and when he's assassinated they're not really sure what should happen next because the group that assassinated caesar they just kind of didn't like caesar they didn't necessarily have that great of a plan for what to do after julius caesar was gone and so there's a struggle for power between a guy known as mark antony and a guy known as octavian now mark antony it was the the general of of caesar's armies He was the guy in charge of all the the Roman troops and the soldiers, and so he seemed like the natural kind of person to be a leader of Rome. As Rome has continued to expand, they've needed strong military might and those kind of things. And so a lot of people are saying Mark Antony should probably be the next guy in charge because he knows what he's doing. He knows how to command troops. He's the right guy. But this other guy, Octavian, um, is actually the successor that was handpicked by Julius Caesar himself because Caesar adopted him and said, this is my heir. This is the guy that's going to take my throne. And he appointed him to do that. But Octavian, people weren't as impressed with Octavian, but he had some really cunning political influence. And actually the Roman Senate, um, wanted to back Octavian, but they were worried that it wouldn't impress the people that much, and so they needed something to happen that could impress the people of Rome. So when they could, de- so when they declare, "Hey, Octavian's going to be the next emperor," the people could get behind it. So something that happens soon after Julius Caesar is assassinated is there's a comet that pretty much everybody witnessed around, like everybody would have seen it in the sky. It's it's incredibly bright. It goes streaking through the sky. And the next day, or even within a few hours, um, Octavian has it declared that comet was my father. Remember, he's adopted by Julius Caesar. That comet was my father, Julius Caesar ascending to his rightful place in the heavenly realms and taking his throne there. And so Julius is a god, and because he is a god and he has proclaimed me to be his son, I am the son of God. And so Octavian starts taking these kind of titles upon himself, uh, the idea of being son of God. And and for reference point, again, I said we're going kind of back in time, pre-Jesus stuff um this is several decades before jesus is even born uh eventually octavian becomes known as caesar augustus sorry i'm kind of spoiling the ending of this story here but jesus is actually born during the reign of augustus and so this story has happened long before any of these stories in acts and long before um, jesus is even born this is when this is all occurring so we've got octavius and uh, Octavian, sorry. And, and he's um, making this claim that his his dad, Julius Caesar, is now a god in heaven. And he is the son of that god. And the, the comet proves it. And so the Roman senators are looking around and going, hey, this might be our moment. We can throw our weight behind Octavian. Uh, we want him to be in charge anyway. He knows what he's doing politically. We can work with him. But also, we're going to give ourselves some leverage here. And so there's a group of 12 senators who who decides to put this weight behind the story. And they say, not only is this what happened, but we're actually witnesses of when Julius Caesar ascended into the heavens and became that comet that streaked through the sky and got to its throne in heaven. We were there. And not only were we there, but we were given a command by Julius. He he told us to be his ambassadors, to spread Rome to the ends of the earth. And so they said, we are up on Capitoline Hill. And, and Julius Caesar told us all of these things. And then he ascended into heaven, streaked across the skies, his comet. And he's now reigning in in the heavenly realms. And these 12 senators said, we are to be his witnesses that this has occurred. We are to be his ambassadors to help spread what Rome does to the very ends of the earth. And because of that, we're backing Octavian. We're backing his story, and he's going to be the next Caesar. Now, the reason the Roman senators would do that, because some of you may be wondering, why are they giving all this power behind this one guy? Well, because that helps the senators have power, again, that they didn't necessarily have under Julius Caesar. People look to them as, as figures of authority, as powers, but they were nothing compared to the emperor. But if the senators get to say, we get together and we get to say, we get to appoint who the emperors are, then that gives them all kinds of power. And so they back who becomes the person who becomes Caesar Augustus, Octavian. And they say, you can be Caesar now. And now they have themselves the role of appointing Caesars. And they've also had this command to take Rome to the ends of the earth. Now we're going to stop there with the Roman story. Um, but know that this is a story that would have been told on and on and people would have known how Augustus came to power and, and would have known about his claim that Julius Caesar became a comet that streaked across the sky that was ruling up in heaven. All of that would have been known about 80 years before this account in Acts 1 is written. And then if, as we read back through Acts 1, we see that, that they're up on a hill near Jerusalem and Jesus says to them, you will receive power when the Holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He commands his disciples. Remember there's normally 12 of them at this particular occasion, um, Judas has already taken his own life after betraying Jesus, and so there's only 11 disciples. The very next story after this is when they appoint a twelfth to join their ranks. There's 11 disciples here who are commanded to be Jesus' witnesses, to take his message to the ends of the earth, to proclaim his gospel, his good news, to the ends of the earth. And they see him go up into the sky, the Son of God. And so you've got kind of a mixing of this Roman story with the Jesus story. And I'm not trying to say that that Luke like made things up to make this story match. I, I, I fully believe that everything that's talked about here in Acts is the things that really happened. What I think it was is Jesus said, you guys know this Roman story about how Augustus came into power, but I'm going to empower you to be my witnesses. And I'm going to make this... Your story that you can carry forward, and that you know you have this command, and you know what that's supposed to look like and how you're supposed to carry it forward because you've seen that play out in history. I'm going to use this as a reminder of what you're supposed to carry forward that we have something that's this new kingdom that's even more powerful than Rome, that has even more lasting power than Rome. And the Holy Spirit is going to help you in this, and He's going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. And so Jesus helps subvert this story that they had uh, that was just about an emperor taking power. And instead, he chooses that story to be one that gives his disciples power to be his witnesses, to carry forward the message. He empowers his disciples. He subverts history. He subverts the, the number one authority of the time that most people, especially in Jerusalem, are viewing as oppressors, the Roman government. He subverts their authority and says, I've got all of the power, but you're going to receive that same power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. And it's going to spread, and you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And you're going to be able to give the Holy Spirit to them just like I have given it to you. And this is all going to be spread, and so you can do even more, and and regular people are going to be empowered and and those who have been oppressed and overlooked are going to become empowered so that they can carry forward this message of who I am, of who God is, of how much he loves us, how much he's done for us. And you all are going to be able to get the Holy Spirit to the authority by which I've received this power. You get it too. And so then Jesus institutes something here in this moment that lasts longer. Than the original story that it subverted because for many of you i'm sure hearing that story about caesar augustus octavian that, that maybe was the first time you've ever heard that story and how much it mirrors the Acts story but you've maybe gotten a chance to read scripture before and you've read acts 1 1 through 11 and you know that story but you never knew the caesar story So the story that was more powerful and that more people would have reflected upon and known in the time of Jesus has now become so incredibly trumped by Jesus' story that we aren't even aware of the Roman story. And again, Jesus has taken that power structure that we default to as humans and completely subverted it and turned it over on its head and says, I died to receive power. I suffered to receive power. And when I had that power, I gave it to my followers. I gave it to my disciples so that they could take it and carry it forward and spread it to the ends of the earth and share it with others. Jesus receives power in his death and resurrection. He shares it before he ascends into heaven. And his disciples continue that forward and continue to share his story, continue to share the Holy Spirit and those are the kind of things that are happening in Acts as the disciples are called to be his witnesses. We could go further in the text and we could keep telling the stories about how the twelve are appointed or how the twelfth Matthias is appointed. But I really wanted to just focus on the first eleven verses and see the charge that the disciples are given, because he says to them, "It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power." when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's the charge that Jesus gave his disciples. And they kept spreading it. And the message didn't stay as just a message in Jerusalem. It didn't stay as, as just a, a subset of the Jewish faith. It spread and it moved, and it continues to move to the ends of the earth. We're now part of this story. We're now part of this charge. We've been brought in and given this same authority. And so this message here, I think, is very much also for us to know that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, power that comes from Jesus, that comes from God, That that is way more authority and power than than Caesar Augustus ever had, than Julius Caesar ever had, than any of the Roman authorities ever had. And we are to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. We are to be Christ's ambassadors. We are to be his disciples. We are to be like Christ and share that with everybody. Because this gospel message is for everyone and to be carried to the ends of the earth.